Hi, I'm Gracie Sarkeesian, the Executive Director at the NYU Wasserman Center, and this is All in a Day's Work, the podcast we've created for you. The NYU network is expansive, and our alumni have an array of unique experiences. All in a Day's Work will bring you episodes featuring members of the NYU community doing interesting work and navigating the professional world. We're excited to share their stories with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, and welcome to All in a Day's Work. My name is Sarah Rosenthal, and today I'm speaking with Callie Hitchcock, a freelance writer and associate producer at Campside Media. Callie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to talk with you a little bit about your time, even before you started at NYU. So you actually graduated from the Journalism Institute with a master's degree in CRC, Cultural Reporting and Criticism, in 2018. But what were you doing before you came to NYU? And what was it about the program that initially interested you? So before the program, I had... I was living in Vancouver, Canada. I just finished my degree in English literature and creative writing. And I was working at the coffee store. I actually worked at a Porsche dealership also (laughs) as a like secretary. It was very funny. But uh, anyway, I was freelance music writing on the side. There's a ton of great music publications in Vancouver. And so I'd write for them mostly for free. Grew up writing like poetry and obviously English literature. Like, I love writing essays. I had presented at a few conferences, like academic conferences. So I was interested in, in writing and becoming my career. And so I looked at a few, I was like, okay, I'll be a journalist. I'll be like a writer slash journalist. And when I found the program at NYU, Cultural Reporting and Criticism, it was the perfect blend of the basically journalism plus i don't know just interesting writing that has opinion has history research basically like blended writing but you get to get rid of academic language and so you get to write essays i don't know that are just contemporary and interesting and there's a huge lineage of people who have done that so this program seemed to be very interested in that and foreground those writers and wanted to learn about those things. So I applied, I got in, it's a class of about 10 people and we were writing and we were reviewing each other's work and it was wonderful. Well, that's so great to hear. It feels like, well, so once you came to NYU, you started grad school, you wanted to become a writer, a journalist. How did you start with making the connections that would allow you to pursue that as a career? Yeah, so basically the pieces that we were writing in class, I would pitch them to editors. And finding editors' emails is not that easy. You just find them in very random places, like a friend of a friend or sometimes Twitter. And then, but yeah, in terms of connections, I also interned at the New Republic. First, I interned at The Believer, and that helped me just meet more people in media in New York. And then I interned at the New Republic, which also helped me meet more media people in New York. And that, so basically the network kind of just got bigger from there. And then I had friends who were writing certain places and I'd say, who's editor, like, who's the editor you worked with? That kind of thing. So yeah, in terms of writing specifically, that is how I sort of figured my network out, I guess. 
Yeah, there's uh there's definitely a lot of websites out there where you can like put in the the end of an email address and then find out like what the stem of it uh often is. So that's that's a great tip for folks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yeah, I also I should say my classmates also became basically like who whoever becomes your like peers, like your media peers is is who ends up helping you. So you mentioned that you you interned at places like Believer and New Republic. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience of actually applying for those internships and, you know, what you ultimately felt like you took away from from those experiences? So the Believer, I actually just emailed the, at the time the web editor lived in New York. What I took away from that was that I, yeah, just got to meet a lot of great people that are in the media world. And so now I see them at parties and I feel like I'm able, I would be able to like ask them for an editor's name or something, or I can, and then those people move around. So like now they're at the different magazine and I could email them and be like, Oh, you remember me? Da da da. And also one of the people I met there, Naila or I basically pitched her something and she like accepted it. So that was a big piece I got to publish in the print magazine just from meeting her. For the New Republic, I applied the old-fashioned way. I submitted an application. I got called in for an interview and I got the job, which was very novel to me at the time because I had I put numbers next to all the applications I submitted. I submitted 150 job applications before I got this job. All to say, I was pretty much given up on the idea that you could get a job from applying to it because I had tried for so hard for months and months and months. So that, yeah, that one was fairly straightforward. And then what I got out of that was truly like everything. I mean, I, well, first of all, I learned a lot about fact-checking and just sort of the machinations of like how a legacy print publication works. But then also I made like my closest friends there. I I lived with one of the girls that is my friend still. And now my roommate currently is a different girl that I met there. So yeah, they've become my like media family. And I've been able to like meet a lot of media people through that job and through my friend group that I made through that experience. I mean, it sounds like your experience in like getting those two different positions at Believer and New Republic were like just the total opposite, right? You you sort of got to experience both types of applying to positions, one where it's all about your connections. And then like with New Republic, you know, just the spending of months applying for things. So it, it feels like you had sort of both of those experiences. Uh, but ultimately, even with the position that you had to, you know, apply kind of randomly, it sounds like you still were able to really develop those connections there that ultimately help you get positions like the one at Believer. Yeah, I mean, and the Believer was a cold email too. So that's that's always funny. Yeah, but it can be tough to to sort of send that that initial cold email. Um and I'm so I'm curious, you know, especially like as you started getting published and as you started getting all these different experiences, I, I was hoping you could sort of talk a little bit about the process of like pitching ideas for stories and building, you know, your your portfolio, which ultimately I imagine you were then sending out as part of those those cold calls. Yeah. Pitching the pieces from the program that I had written, 
I basically would send full drafts, which I don't know. People have two different ways of going about that, but I don't know. It's like I have written it and do you want it or can you like mess with this or whatever? And I would be, you know, you do a full pitch, like you, you give them enough information that they don't have to read it, but you're like, okay, but I have it. So here you go. Unless I know the editor already, I can't just pitch something without having written it because I think through writing, you're discovering what your point is. Like a lot of times you have an idea, but you don't know what it's, you don't know what you're going to discover through writing. Like I think writing is an action that gets you closer to discovering something. Like you're feeling something out. So you can't feel it out if you're just writing the pitch and you haven't really ideated through it yet. So that's why I usually write it. And then I'm like, okay, well, I've already written it. I'll just put, attach it to the email of the pitch. Yeah. I'm sure like once they've published your work a little bit, or they've seen what you have to to offer it, the relationship starts developing and it gets a little easier over time. But that being said, like, I don't mean to make it sound like it is easy, <laughs> right? Building a career as a freelance writer can be intimidating and it can be a, a big undertaking. What would be some of your advice for, you know, a writer or a journalist who is thinking about going that route? Yeah, it's so hard to say. I mean, I mean, don't expect to make a lot of money, obviously. I think (laughs) that's how I go into it is not even I've just sort of given up at this point of like making at any kind of like real substantial amount of money. So just be aware of that. But that being said, I do know people that are professional journalists, like music journalists, uh, professional political journalists, and they make it work and it, and it works out for them. And now that you have Substack, like if you get, if your writing is good enough, you can just sort of convert to Substack and you'll have sort of a built-in base. Like, I mean, I would say try to get affiliated with the magazine in some way if you can. If you have writing that's like conducive to that. I like freelancing because I can write what I'd like to write whenever I want to and I'm not depending on it for an income. So I get to always write something that's interesting to me. I think sometimes if you work at a magazine, they make you write two articles a day or obviously not everything is like that. But the real dream jobs, I do I do, do think there's like not that many of them. And a lot of times you're kind of churning out content for magazines. And now a word from Emily Anderson, Assistant Director of Employer Engagement and Communications at the Wasserman Center. Freelancing can be a valuable learning experience for those who are looking to enhance their skills in a particular craft. It can be a great option for students especially because it offers flexibility in your schedule and the chance to start expanding your skills and network. Interested in learning more? Start by figuring out your marketable skills and what services you will offer as a freelancer. Some of the most common types of freelance jobs might be content development for social media, journalism and writing, graphic design, and more. Start thinking about what you're interested in and build your skills from there. Consider your personal brand and how to build relationships with others in the field. This will help you expand your network and determine your ideal customer base whether it's small businesses, fellow NYU students, or other freelancers. 
You can utilize your vast network of classmates, professors, and NYU community members to start marketing your skills and building your client base. In this digital age, use online resources to your advantage. Develop a website or social media presence to start spreading the word about your services. This is also a great way to get involved in the industry and reach others doing similar work. Finally, there are so many freelance job platforms and websites such as Fiverr.com, F-I-V-E-R-R, a site designed to connect freelancers with businesses looking for relevant services. Most importantly, remember that you have a network as an NYU student. Reach out to alums on the Violet Network to promote your skills, learn about their work, and start building your customer base as a freelancer. Now back to the show. Well, so I, I want to sort of pivot a little bit uh, to talking about some things that you were doing after graduating. Um, so like I said, you finished your program in 2018 and less than two years later, the pandemic began. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how that impacted your writing career? Oh, yeah, that did pretty much like tanked my motivation for like, honestly, a few years. Like I wrote like a few pieces throughout those years, but I don't know. There wasn't a huge market for pretending that the pandemic wasn't happening. Like any writing that wasn't like about the pandemic. I did write one pandemic piece that I actually thought was really fun. It was about watching this rom-com basically, but anyway, just go check it out. It's on my website. Anyway, all to say, I, yeah, I lost motivation. And then you kind of think you're never going to write again because I had been writing it. I had been publishing a ton yeah. How do I get motivation after that? You kind of realize that it's like, okay, what are the chances that I'm never going to write again for the rest of my life? Like, and you're kind of, and then that kind of puts into perspective. You're like, oh, okay. Probably not never ever again. Like I like writing. So you have to find your reason why you like writing and what you want to do with it again. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, so around the same time, as the start of the pandemic, you also started your job at Campside Media, a, a podcast production company. Obviously, audio is a little bit different from writing, which was what you had been focused on up until that point. So can you talk a little bit about that shift and the connection to, you know, your your prior experience? Yeah. So one of my one of my professors in one of my electives at NYU ended up starting a podcast company. And she reached out to ask if I would do some part-time contract work for her and the company, Campsite Media. So I started doing that, which is basically like fact-checking and finding selects from interviews, you know, like going through the interviews and like highlighting things that are going to be good when you want the podcast and then doing table reads and like giving notes on episodes. And yeah, it was it was really cool. It was it's definitely a big shift in terms of like more, it was very strictly like hard journalism kind of thing. But I got to learn, I've, I have learned so much about story structure and I've learned so many skills in terms of like archival research. And actually it helped me so much to figure out the steps of doing these huge long form investigative journalism projects, which I think I would have never had the confidence to do before this job. I'd be like, oh, I don't know how to do these big, huge, like, investigations. And now I know every single step it takes and, like, what you do and who you call and how you get their number and, you know. 
So that's a that's a really big skill and I'm 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 really happy that I got that. That sounds so cool. And I'm I'm curious so you know as you've been going through this it sounds like you you sort of had to learn on the job, right? You had that that basis in your education at NYU, but a lot of these things that you were doing were were sort of brand new. How do you take what you already know, you know, and bring that into your new role? And then what was that process like of of having to learn things on the job? Yeah, I mean, I should say that I did produce a podcast actually before I came to Campside. It was at the Archives of Lesbian Oral Testimony in Vancouver. And so I produced a, po- a full podcast for them. So basically... I did have podcast experience in terms of like audio editing and like, you know, interviewing and organizational skills. And I had a lot of research skills and fact-checking skills in general. And then it was really cool to learn so much. And because it was a brand new company, it basically started a few months before they hired me. So these are all journalists, like a New York Times journalist, basically, that were all just learning about podcasting as a format so or as a medium basically so we were all learning at the same time so it was really cool to like sort of craft things the way that you find most efficient for the most part yeah and you touched on this a little bit already but how would you say working in podcasting now has impacted your skills as a critic and as a journalist i think sometimes people forget with writing anything like essays or criticism or journalism, like you have to be bringing news, which is like (laughs) news is new information. So that's really helped me sort of center what my prerogative is with writing where it's like, you have to be bringing some new ideas to the table in writing or else you're not going to be like bringing anything to the public that's interesting and cool. I don't know. It's also just made me a lot more like investigative minded. And so I can find all these little esoteric things just from like being able to have better investigative skills, I think. That's great. Um, I guess, you know, I, I want to sort of, before we wrap up, I just want to ask like, what advice do you have for somebody who, who wants to pursue a sort of similar path? in the future. Yeah. Like I, I remember when I was in grad school, people, we would have people come in to talk to us and they all seemed extremely down on the journalism industry. And basically their advice was always like, don't bother, which I think is not fair. And I don't think it's true. I think like there's always going to be writing anyway, all to say, yeah, it's, it seems impossible. It's definitely going to seem impossible And then you're going to have no motivation and it's going to seem like, where can I even draw motivation from? But it's, it's an accumulative, accumulative process. So if you get one thing, you're building onto the next thing. Basically, like the only reason the people writing today are still writing is because they didn't give up on it. So like the only thing that separates you from somebody who is writing and somebody who is not is that you just have decided to keep doing it. That's the only thing that keeps anyone in this industry is just like continuing to do it and continuing to hack away at it. So my last question is just, you know, what's next for you? I do not know. I have been thinking about, I have 
designs to start a food blog. I've written the first blog. So that one, that might be coming up soon. Yeah. And I have a few pieces in mind that I want to pitch, but yeah, I, I don't know where the future goes for me. Maybe I will be a magazines at some point. Maybe I will be a freelance journalist at some point. I do not know. I would love to, I'm I'm excited to find out. (laughs) Well, I'm certainly excited to find out too. Callie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and share your experience with the NYU community. Awesome. Thanks so much. This has been Sarah Rosenthal with another episode of All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about the services that are offered at the Wasserman Center, you can log on to Today's our career portal was hosted Handshake by Sarah Rosenthal homepage. with episode guest Callie Hitchcock. We're produced by Sarah Rosenthal and Ben Barzilai, edited by Ben Barzilai, and created with support from Emily Anderson, Danielle Crystal, Haley Garofalo, and Joseph Mercadante. We'd also like to take a moment to thank our listeners for all the support they've given over the last two and a half years. We've really enjoyed talking with NYU alumni, faculty, and staff, and getting to share their stories with our community. We're starting to think about ways we can revamp this podcast, ways that will allow us to tell more stories and even have NYU students take part in the production process. That being said, All in a Day's work is going to take a brief hiatus as we figure out the best ways to make this show all that it can be. But we'll be back soon, and we can't wait to show you all that we've been working on. Until then, this has been All in a Day's Work. Thanks for listening.